Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to the book of Colossians. Not entirely sure what page that's on, but someone next to you probably does. It's such a joy to be here and to preach God's Word to you. I have benefited from this church, been shaped by this church, and it is just a tremendous privilege to be able to worship with you all this morning and to seek to serve you in the Word. Uh, To that end, let me ask God's blessing on our time and for His help. Uh, Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we need help, all kinds of help. And you have all kinds of help for us. I pray for those that are idle in soul, Lord. I pray that you would encourage them, that they would feel lovingly admonished. I pray for those that are weak, that you would strengthen them with the grace that's in Christ Jesus. I pray for those that are faint-hearted, and tired, that you would strengthen them and encourage them with how much they have in Jesus. We ask that you would fill us all with joy and peace in believing, that we might abound in hope this morning. We ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Have you ever started something and not finished it? Of course you have. Uh, That's what we do. (laughs) We start stuff and don't finish them. We've all began hobbies and not continued those hobbies. We've all started tasks that we've never completed. We've failed to continue with them. If my wife were here, she could give you all an extensive list of things I have started that I have failed to complete. Uh, Every new year, at the beginning of the year, we have what's called New Year's resolutions where people make promises they don't keep. Uh, They start things they don't finish. We have, at least a lot of us, have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together at the gym. Uh, (laughs) Some of us are still paying those monthly reminders that you did not continue. Uh, we, We start things and don't continue in things. Uh, From failing to finish a project in the house to, moment of honesty, failing to finish the Bible reading plan that you started at the beginning of the year. We all have in some way started things and not continued with them. We've evidenced our inability to see everything through. Uh, Not keeping at some things is bearable in some situations, but it's certainly not bearable in all things and in all situations. There are certain contexts, there are certain things where failing to continue, where failing to finish means ruin and disaster, and where continuing, keeping going, actually has the honor and the glory in it. There's no area of our lives where this is most true and most seen than in the area of our faith. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised then that we find in the Bible commands to keep going. Uh, God commands good things of us. And one of the things God commands us to do is to keep going with Jesus. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised that Paul, to 
a church, encouraging them to, to keep going, a, a call to continue being Jesus' disciple, to continue in following Jesus, and to give us instruction on how to do that well. So we're going to look at that very idea in our text for consideration this morning. We're looking at Colossians chapter 2. We're just looking at verse 6 and verse 7. But we find such a call as that and such instruction as that in these verses. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I have three points this morning. Uh, point number one is the call to continue with Jesus. Point number two is the Jesus we continue with. And then point three is the ways that we continue with Jesus. So the call to continue with Jesus, the Jesus we continue with, and then the ways to continue with Jesus. First, the call to continue with Jesus. It's kind of a duh thing, right, that we must not only begin the right way, but continue the right way. Nobody is happy with a doctor who started the surgery, yet who did not complete it. Uh, no one gets credit for starting a race if they abandon the race midway through. Uh, the Apostle Paul knew this all too well. He watched the seed of faith grow in some, only to later be aborted. It's interesting, at the end of this very letter, Colossians in chapter 4, verse 4, if you look over there very quickly, someone interesting is named. Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you know Demas is not the, that's not the name you want to pass on to your kids. He's known for something, and we're told what he's known for. At the end of Paul's race, something happened to Demas. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Demas is said to have been in love with the present world and had deserted him. But there were others too. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Some have said to make shipwreck of their faith, among who are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Even some churches were in danger of doing this, of not continuing in the faith. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Later in chapter 5 of Galatians, he would say, you were running well, who hindered you? Uh, it's interesting, we get one of the best passages, I think, on the resurrection and on the gospel, specifically in the book of Corinthians, chapter 15, the, the matter of first importance. And you appreciate why Paul was so eager that it be preserved for them as a matter of first importance, because by the time he got to writing 2 Corinthians, he's able to say to them, listen, and y'all are still dealing with a different gospel. Y'all are putting up with a different Jesus, you'll put up with a different spirit, you're okay with a different gospel. So, so we need to not only come to Jesus, we got to stay with Jesus, we got to continue with Jesus. But churches do this in, in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, despite doing some good Christian things, as Jesus walked through the churches, you remember how he evaluated that one church that was in danger because they strayed, they veered, they shifted from how they began. It says, I have this against you, this is Jesus assessing that church church. 
that you had abandoned the love you had at first. You didn't start that way. You had a love at first, but you left it. And he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We must continue with Jesus. The promises of God finishing the good work he started, which we love and we must love, which we hope in and we must hope in, which we must rest in, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion, that he is the one working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. This is intended to provide us with confidence that God has allotted strength for us to continue, not so that we will check out and stop running the race. So it's not so that we would catch the bench in the middle of the run, start sipping Gatorade, he's going to finish it for me. No, no, it's supposed to feel confidence that he's going to keep me going. He's going to give me energy each step. He's going to give me grace for each part of the way. He'll see to it that I make it to the end. We're going to make it with Jesus by grace, for in him, God's people go from strength to strength. Stride by stride, there's grace there to meet you, to push you forward. Uh, We're not only called to repent and believe in Christ initially, right? We're called to continue repenting and to continue believing in Christ as well. This is why it's a good thing for a church to confess their sins when they come together again this week. And every week you meet, there's fresh sins to confess, fresh gospel to believe in. Not different gospel, same gospel, but it's freshly applied to us. The only true discipleship is a continuing discipleship. We must arrive at the end just as we started. We must begin and continue in our discipleship. So Paul encourages us, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, continue in him, Uh, which is what this idea of walking communicates, that to keep living that way, to keep carrying on in that format, to keep continuing on as his disciple. We're called to continue with Jesus. Walk in this verse is a term referring to someone's ongoing behavior, uh, their activity. It's their lifestyle. We see this in other places. For instance, in uh, 1 John, remember if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, it says we lie and we do not practice the truth. But he says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, he's not talking about a couple steps, but if that's your behavior, if that's your ongoing lifestyle, that's how you live, you walk in the light. The the context of our passage in Colossians is also helpful for us to understand what this encouragement is even about. Why is Paul so amped to tell Christians to keep walking in Jesus? I mean, how often do we tell other Christians, keep going, hopefully a lot, But why is Paul so eager? He's talking to Christians to tell Christians, keep being Christians. Our context is helpful, right? The weight behind Paul's call for us to continue with Jesus. In our verse 6, right, our text begins with a therefore, and you know therefore is therefore a reason. Right? It's connected to something that came before. Look briefly at verse 4 of chapter 2 in Colossians. While Paul is unpacking the treasures and the riches of Christ's glory, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you 
with plausible arguments. That no one can trick you, no one can fool you, no one can mislead you away from Christ to look for true riches and true treasure anywhere else outside of him. So, so Paul would understand that there is actual opposition to every saint following Jesus. And I trust you know that. I trust you're aware of that. I trust you're on guard against that. That opposition is real. But he's saying sometimes the opposition seems persuasive. These aren't the obvious arguments. This isn't some guy running in with a pitchfork and a red outfit saying, follow me. Nobody would go with him. He says, no, these are plausible arguments. Plausible. They're little things that allure your attention away from Jesus. Say, why don't you find a little bit of your life over here? A little bit of your life in that. Find a little bit of your worth in your job. Find a little bit of your worth in who you know. Find a little bit of who you are outside of Christ. Paul would understand that that opposition is dangerous. Look at verse 8. The, this is kind of the sandwich of our statement. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that nobody trips you up, nobody takes you captive, nobody lures you away from finding you're all in Jesus because there's plenty that seeks to. There's people, human tradition, there's spirits, the elemental spirits of the world. There's, there's arguments, there's lofty opinions that seek to exalt themselves above Christ. And he says, make sure you don't get caught. Make sure you don't get caught up, you don't get entangled, oh saint. Are you aware that there is opposition to you continuing in your discipleship with Jesus, continuing to be satisfied by his steadfast love, to continuing to having him be the sole source of your joy, your delight, and your peace? There's apostolic concern, right? There's the sobriety needed. There ought to be awareness in us that there is opposition to us walking in Jesus. There's opposition to us continuing as his disciples, you cannot win a battle you do not even know that you're in. Like you don't recognize you're actually in. You can't expect to defend yourself from opposition to your discipleship if it doesn't even register as opposition to your discipleship. Listen, Netflix ain't trying to edify you. HGTV ain't trying to encourage you to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Most universities ain't trying to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this world, we are surrounded nonstop by things seeking to seduce us from being captivated by Jesus. There's plausible arguments Seemingly reasonable ones. There's philosophies of the world, so-called wisdom produced and distributed in the world system that refuses to recognize God for who he is. There's universities, colleges, they, they repackage knowledge. You can be really wise and really knowledgeable and not know God. 
It's deception. It's lies. They seek to lead away from truth. There's much that oppose us walking in Jesus. And sometimes the opposition comes from false teacher. Sometimes the opposition comes from family members, right? There's, there's a devil. We have an adversary who's against you, who leads the, the world to be against you. That's why he's called the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, trying to devour, seeking to lead astray. And, and Jesus says, even if it was possible, it's not possible. But even if it was the elect, he's, he's trying to persuade away the elect. We're in a world whose systems are opposed to the centrality and supremacy of Christ in all things to replace the true living God as your chief treasure and Lord. And the forces opposed to Jesus collectively have this gravitational pull that aims to uproot you from Christ. There's counter rules set down against the rule of Christ. There's counterfeit ways that oppose the way of Christ. There's counterfeit gods. And we must not be taken captive by them. We must not stray after them. We must not be seduced by them. We must not abandon Christ for them. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Continue conducting your life in him. Don't have your life be outside of him. Continue conducting the pattern of your life in him. Walk happily under the sunshine of his countenance. Uh, walk not shifting from that hope of his gospel. Walk under the, the, the domain of direction that is his word. Walk captivated by his glory and by his beauty. Walk upright as a satisfied saint of God and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called, we're commanded, we're charged to Keep going with Jesus. And this brings us to our second point is that's the Jesus we're called to continue with. Now, we appreciate why Paul is really hype about staying with Jesus because Paul knows a few things about Jesus. Now, this call for us to walk in him obviously assumes, as the text says, that you've actually received him, right? If you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So before we go on to talking about what Christians must do, if you're here and you have not received Christ Jesus the Lord, we would invite you to come and join us. You can receive him right now. You, you, you must receive him to live. See, in our sin, the Bible describes us as being dead towards God. And just like we wouldn't expect a blind man to behold and appreciate the beauty of a sunset, we find that a sinner cannot behold and appreciate the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're blind to his beauty. They're blind to his glory. That's why the Bible describes those who don't know the Lord as existing within the domain of darkness. They live life without light. Their state is darkness. And in fact, in Ephesians, he says at one point, you were darkness. They are darkness. If you're here and you are still in your sin, you haven't left your sin, you haven't come to Jesus, Jesus would categorize you as darkness. People who are still in their sin, there's no light. But Jesus brings light to darkness. But we were all blind to our own need, blind to God's goodness, blind to the centrality of God, blind to the beauty of Christ, blind to his role in all things, blind to the wrath of God that's coming on everyone who walks in sin, who continues in darkness. But we find that on the cross, while we were still opposed to God, while we were still in our darkness, God let light shine. 
And he let light shine in our hearts, showcasing gospel light. The Lord Jesus comes to us in our darkness. He comes to us in our sin, and he comes with a life. And that life is the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is what we see happening at the cross. The, the Lord Jesus moved with pity on our behalf because of his deep love and because of his tremendous grace. He came to suffer for us. He came to be a substitute in our place. Took the penalty we deserve for our sin. Died the death. We all must die. And yet rose from the dead, got up from the grave, and in so doing, he, he triumphs over sin, triumphs over death, and shows he can deliver from sin and death for all those who turn from sin and come to him. The thing that keeps people in darkness, Jesus showcased by his death and resurrection, he actually is more mighty than. The darkness that keeps people in prison, the strong man can deliver from. And he invites, he says, come to me and live. Even as that passage in Deuteronomy, I'm, I'm putting before you life. Choose life. In Christ and in Christ alone, we have God's remedy for our sickness and for our sin dilemma. It's only in him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It's in Christ. We're brought from the depths of spiritual poverty and we're said to have, we're made to be heirs of this inheritance of the saints in light. It's in Christ we get delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of this beloved son. And those who have left the darkness come into his light. They now walk as children of light. And the people of God are those who are happily in the light. Those who have left all they had because they find that in Christ is more than they could possibly imagine. We're those who've left all the world offers because we've come to discern by God's grace all that God offers to us in Jesus. Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? You can. You can receive him in your seat. Or you can turn in your heart. You can turn from your sin. You can turn from thinking you run things, which keeps it dark, and come to this God, this Lord, who runs things in light. And you can enter into his light and stay there. Listen, the, the gospel, and only the gospel, has the power to raise men and women from their sin and enable them to be living saints, living in the living God. And when you meet Jesus, you find out there is a tremendous fullness in him. Which is why Paul said, if you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. You have enough to walk in forever. To leave him is to suggest that there is something empty in him that there's things needful outside of him. It's almost like Paul's asking, do, do you know who's yours in Jesus? Before this, I think this is why Paul had that beautiful hymn, that wonderful meditation about the excellency of Christ. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. As Paul has this wonderful meditation about Christ to remind them afresh of who is theirs in Christ. It's almost like saying, you remember who Christ Jesus the Lord is, right? Look at Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is no one of greater rank. There is no one of greater worth. 
He is the radiance, as Hebrew says, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Paul goes on to say, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Where this world might suggest that you made you or that you are your own, we are plainly told who made it all and who owns it all, and that's Christ, Christ the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the owner. He governs it all. The creator and the maker of everything. And not only does he make all, not only does he own all, but he is the sole sustainer of all that he made. In him, all things hold together. That includes all of the cosmos. Indeed, all the laws of nature are upheld together by the law of Christ. And that includes you, beloved. You get held together by Jesus. I mean, consider the power of work, but the power that's at work within you. This is the the power of him who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the God who upholds every saint by his power as well. Paul says he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this Christ is the source of all things in the church, the beginning and the resurrected end. So you think beginning and end, you think born, died. No, no, he has a resurrected end. He begins and keeps going. He ever lives. In him, (laughs) this is how full he is. In him, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. You cannot have any true goodness outside of Christ. You cannot have any true joy outside of Christ. You cannot have any true peace outside of Christ. You cannot have any true life outside of Christ. They are God's, and God has been pleased to put his fullness all in Jesus. They're from God's fullness, and the fullness of God is only found in Christ. And this is the Christ we get. This is the Christ we get to walk with. The one who made the mountains and made the seas. The one that made the stars and upholds them. The one who calls sinners from the dead and gives them eternal life. He's the one we get to walk in. Him who creates stuff out of nothing. By his speaking and sustains and holds together, he's the one we get to walk in. There is no better use of our lives for them to be consumed with Jesus. I mean, that's what heaven is, right? That's how the book of Revelation ends. The entire environment and all who are within it in full and happy agreement, consumed together in adoration of the fullness of Jesus. Oh, and the saint lives rejoicing in the God of their salvation. The saint loves the environment God has put him in, in Christ. 
it's pleasant in him. Yeah? The lions have fallen for us in pleasant places. We got a beautiful inheritance. We have the presence of God now will be the source of full joy forever. It's the source of joy now. Pleasure forevermore, not in stuff, but in him. We get him now. And the saints live that way. They live in him. All the different spheres of our occupations, all the different neighborhoods his people live in, we're all consumed with our Jesus. And we walk in him in adoration and exaltation of who he is by faith. By faith, we love Christ as our whole environment. And we worship him as our lifestyle. We walk through blocks. We walk through the Capitol building if you work there. You walk to the grocery store. You walk through your home, and, and that sound comes from your life. Hark those bursts of acclamation, those loud, triumphant chords. Jesus got the highest station. And what joy that sight affords. We crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him. King of kings, Lord of lords, Christ the Lord. Paul says that, that's to govern how we live. That should govern how we walk. Who cares what the newest iPhone is? And that's how you know we're tripping. Listen, we get discouraged because we don't have stuff. When we have him. We get discouraged when we don't have a person, when we have him. We get discouraged when we don't have a job or when something falls through or something happens to a body he's promised to make new. When we have him, he says, as you received him, keep going. What dictates the Christian life is who that life is in, and that's in Jesus uh, chapter 2, verse 9, I think has one of the most amazing statements about Jesus. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and beloved, you have been filled in him. Our fullness is from our Jesus, and it's a full fullness. It's like when you eat, Thanksgiving eat, not your normal eat, but Thanksgiving eat. Everybody hits that point at Thanksgiving where you're done. Some of us have different levels. I can go, okay, I can go. <laughs> but I mean, we, we need to think about that. You know that fullness where it's like, if somebody just tries to offer you something, you just wanna throw up on them. It's like, <laughs> get away from me with more food. The saint is to be so filled with Jesus that as the world comes with its little weak spoons, it's like, mm -mm, I'm good. My belly is taut with gladness. Christ is the entire world for a Christian. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Matters what you emphasize, doesn't it? For me to live is Christ. This is why in Colossians 3, 4, Paul doesn't say, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. He doesn't say, because this is the Christ who brings you life, though that's true. He doesn't say that this is the Christ who leads your life, though that's true. He says, this is the Christ who is our life. This is the Jesus we walk with. 
This is the Jesus we're called to continue with, with the endless fullness in himself. What could you possibly need outside of him? And this this brings us to the, the last point is we're considering the call to continue with Jesus. We consider the Jesus we're called to continue with. He gives us help in how to continue with him. He says, verse seven, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, if continuing with Jesus were the tabletop for this verse, these four things would be the legs that kind of hold it up. Uh, This is here, Paul, giving us four specific ways to continue walking in Christ. It's interesting, though, that those first three things, rooted, built up, and established, uh, those words each carry a different connotation, but they all seem to be getting at a similar idea. Uh, Rooted is a horticulture word. Built up is a construction word. Established actually is a legal word. And we're 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 to be rooted, built up, established in the faith in him. Uh, rooted, rooted. Uh, those who continue are those well-rooted in Christ, and it's interesting he calls us to be rooted. We don't tend to think of ourselves as one rooting ourselves. But he's calling us to root yourself. You ever had them weeds that you get deceived how deep the roots are when you try to pull them up and you can't pull your back out, the roots just go down? The saint is supposed to have some deep, 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 deep roots that when the world comes and tries to pull it, the roots keep it in place. He says, rooted, rooted in Christ. In contrast to this image, we should think of the parable of the sower, I think. Recall how when he, the sower sows on on the rock, we're told that it grew up, but it withered away. Jesus explaining this in Luke 8, 13 He says, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, that is, they don't continue, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Uh, The the withering discipleship is an unrooted discipleship. Uh, There are ways to evidence a lack of rootedness. Uh, In the parable, it was testing. It was hardship. And if we've been walking with Jesus for any season, we appreciate how that reveals the true man, what's really in the root. A tree might look pretty when a little little wave, a little wind comes and a little tree flops over. That's no root. And so it is with the saint. If they can't endure hardship and still be satisfied in their God, there was something misunderstood about how they were to relate to him. In Colossians, he's talking about being misled, right? Plausible arguments that seem to uproot, that throw off course, that tempt someone to be dissatisfied with Christ. Tempted to look elsewhere for where their life is. Uh, But the saint knows there's nowhere else to look. Peter was rooted. He, He had some moments, but he was rooted. Remember people was following Jesus and then Jesus started saying stuff and then people stopped following Jesus and walked away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter showed he was rooted. He said, where else we going to go? You are the son of God. We believe you're the holy one who got the eternal life words. We stay in here. There's plausible arguments that uproot, but the saint is rooted in who Jesus is. And it's rooted in who Jesus is because Jesus doesn't change. What someone does when they, dish de- when they throw Jesus overboard because their situation changes, that just shows that their hope was actually in an unchanged circumstance, not in the unchanging Jesus. 
Because Jesus stays the same. When it's going well for you, he doesn't get better. He can't get better. He's always the bestest. And when things go bad for you, he does not get worse. Just because our circumstance changed and things may become difficult for us, nothing's changed with our head, with our source. He cannot change. That's the divine attribute. There's no variation or shadow. Not only can he not change, you're not even looking like he's about to change. Just as you met him as that glorious Savior, Lord, root yourself there. This is what Jesus called them on on the eve of his departure, was it not? Listen, I'm leaving, and it's about to get really crazy for y'all. This is the Brian Standard Version. It's about to get really crazy for y'all. And Jesus said, but stay with me. Abide in me. I'm the vine. You're not a vine. I'm the vine. You're a branch. We're branches. We're the, we're the branch bunch. And we get our life from another one. And she's saying, you got to stay rooted in me. You got to abide in me. You have to be in me for you to live. Because he it is, he it is who's rooted in me. He bears much fruit. Sorrow, suffering, becoming, and the fruit still pops out. You be like, how? They're rooted. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a way to remain rooted in me that can stand the loss of friends, can stand the loss of family, stand the loss of acceptance with the world, even the loss of your own life, and it's being in him. So satisfied, so filled up in him. He says rooted and built up. The saints to be like a well-constructed house, rightly built. And this requires intentionality and initiative. I've never met a mature saint who became one accidentally. And guess what? Neither have you. I've never met a sound believer who's neglected the regular means of grace, of devotion to the word, fellowship, the the prayers, who was thriving in their soul. Remember, this is Jude's encouragement. While many professors were following their own passions when they were making a mockery of the grace of God, he says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in this most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves rooted, right? Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking to Jesus, using your activities and endeavors and your resources to build yourself up in soul. And this is how they receive Jesus. We we know this because we have Bibles, right? (laughs) Praise God for Bibles. You see what the early Christians did? It's interesting, isn't it? how they received Jesus. They were devoted to the prayers, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted. And Acts actually says they devoted themselves, building themselves up. Beloved saint, how are you doing this day by day? 
what's your plan to build up your soul this week? Do, do you have a plan? Please have a plan. Paul is saying the way to continue is the same way you received it. You remember when you became aware of the glory of Christ and was walking with him. I grew up, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up hearing Christ's name. I was an unbeliever. I remember giving myself to my lust. I remember giving myself to my sin. I remember being evil all the way through. And then I remember where by God's grace, them eyes opened way up. And I was made to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. It changed everything. Stuff that used to be corny became precious. I remember being in church services and they would just go and go and go. I'd be like, when can we go? (laughs) Oh, but then you say, oh, wait, 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 wait. We get to worship the Lord. Let's stay and worship the Lord longer. Let's stay and pray longer. Let's stay and sing longer. People don't normally say this, but you can maybe preach longer. <laughs> Let's be together more. Let's, we, we get to have him. I remember not having him, and then you get to have him. That's one of the, the sweet graces of new saints before they're discouraged by some of the older curmudgeon or saints, not, not older in age, just be clear, But some people, when they walk with Jesus, their love grows cold, and then they normalize it. And then they discourage those new, vibrant, blazing reminders of what love is supposed to be like. So rather than be conformed by their love, being convicted by their love, you change how their love should look, maybe. John Newton says, no, that's the peculiar beauty of a new saint. You know, when they can't put the Bible down, and then you get convicted, you're like, man, I don't remember the last time I read the whole Bible in a weekend. But a new saint is like, it's God's word. I didn't know it was God's word. He's spoken to me. I get to hear him. These are God's people. I didn't know. I just thought you were weird, but you're God's people. These are God's songs. I love singing God's songs. You you experience that, right? Paul says, don't change. Don't turn down. Turn up. Spurgeon said, for someone's love to get colder as the time goes, he just cannot sympathize with. For did you love him when you had a concept of some things forgiven, and now you have a longer history of them forgiven? Shouldn't that swell the affection more? Paul is saying the continuing soul continues in those affections. It's concerned when they're not there. And it's okay to admit they're not there as long as you know that's bad. We all got dry seasons. Share when you're in a dry season and then do what we're supposed to do to make those dry places become wetlands again. Remember that word to the church in Ephesus. If if, if you've abandoned your first love, the answer is simple. It's repentance. And the repentance is connected to works you did at first. Works consistent with that right kind of love. It requires this God-wrought effort that expresses itself through saints depending on him and obeying what he tells us to do. God's telling us to do good stuff. I mean, consider the means of grace. 
He's commanding us to pray. That's like commanding us to not be discouraged. He's commanding us to get help. He's commanding us to fellowship, to be stirred up, to be exhorted every day as long as it's called today so that there's no hardness of our heart. He's commanded us to be devoted to this book, devoted to these words, these life-giving words. Uh, Friends, there's no steroids for the soul. Massive growth is the accumulation of growth gained by seemingly mundane and insignificant acts of faith that is pressing towards being rooted, built up, and established in him. You have options with what you do with the rest of your day. You have options with what you do with your week. You have options with what you do with your life. Will you use it to press towards Christ, to build yourself up in this most holy faith, to walk in him, to labor to be better rooted in him, established in the faith, to grow the abundance of thanksgiving to God. Oh, take note of the aged saints among you that have been faithful. Uh, Mr. Ken and Miss Karen, they're in the 70s. Mr. Ken just memorized his first book of the Bible. He's an electrician. He, he, he's given to self-deprecation. He's never doing enough in his own eyes. But in my eyes, my very fallen eyes, with my fallen pastoral eyes, I'm like, I wish our church was filled with Mr. Ken's and Miss Karen's who in their 70s are the softest saints to the word. Their place is never empty at Bible study. You know, you talk to somebody, one of the clear indications that somebody usually doesn't know the Bible is when they give you the answer, oh, I read that already. You're like, what do you mean you read it already? It's living and active. <laughs> but how often do Christians, as they mature, how often can we sometimes function like we did that already? You know, Mr. Ken, Mr. Karen, their place, pens out, notes. Tell us the gospel again. We need that. We need that. And he always has the best commentary. He comes up and says, Pastor Brian, we needed to hear that. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're preaching on. It doesn't matter because it, it, he's just happy to have God speak to him. He said, we, 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 we need to be rooted. I need to be rooted. I'm just, I can sometimes just drip. But it's, it's always just, he's just eager to receive that word with humility, that word that's able to save the soul. Uh, J.C. Ryle writes, my favorite quote outside of the Bible on the means of grace. He says, we shall all do well to remember the charge, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. He says, never to be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason, never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in our own congregation, never to let our place be empty when means of grace are going on. This is one way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered and established and quickened our hearts. We little know how dependent our spiritual health is on little, regular, habitual helps and how much we will suffer if we miss our medicine. I can say as a preacher, countless times as I'm preparing to labor God's word, I believe God brings members of our church to my mind and through negligence, them not be there. 
And it's just, you just, you just gotta watch it like, ah, you're carrying people in your heart as you're trying to feed them the word. It's like, this is gonna be really, I think, helpful. Not because of the way I'm saying it, but this is just something God says I want to be strengthened and you know, they might be at the beach. No, not us, beloved. He says, never have your place be empty. When the prayer's popping, sign me up. We're going to be singing tonight? Count me in. We're going to crack open the word? Let's go. You guys are all here, obviously, today, so praise the Lord. Be encouraged by that. And keep going in that. More and more opportunities. They devoted themselves. And he says, established in the faith. For it to be confirmed and strengthened that they would not shift from the hope of the gospel but be secure, stable, and solid in Christ. Right? There's this direct connection between our stability and our familiarity with the word of God and the doctrines of our faith. Jesus did not fight the devil with weird sayings. Jesus fought the devil with the Bible. Have some strange food. That's not what God said. Jump off the temple. That's not what God meant. Here, I'll give you all this stuff. God has told me something different. Established, strong, stable. He says, just as you were taught. Uh, They have been recreated into a whole new order, the faith, and are ruled by the word of God and his priorities. I mean, when we were unbelievers, we did what we wanted to do. That's what it means to be an unbeliever. You, you think you're Lord. But when you get saved, when you get born again, you come to see, I'm not Lord of anything. He's the Lord of all. And we listen to him. We then shape our whole lives based on what he said, because he's the Lord, and we're not. That's how we get taught. It's like, you were a rebellious little king that is going to get crushed, but if you repent, he will let you be in his family, and he will let you be a citizen in his kingdom. And you say, amen, praise the Lord, thank you for mercy. And then we orient ourselves to that book. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word of God. And that's the change that happens when someone comes to faith. They leave their former orientation in the world, and they're newly oriented to Christ as Lord. So many look at that early church, and they get perplexed again by what's happening. It's like, that's how they got told. Jesus is actually the all-consuming world he is. And then we, we, we live like it. They came into a whole new world in him. They used to think a whole different way used to regard each other according to the flesh, but now they regard each other that way no longer. If anyone's in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old gets passed away. Behold, the new comes. They say, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We can pray to God like right now. The God of heaven will hear us, and he will be moved by our prayers like right now. (laughs) Well, let's pray. (laughs) Hold up. (laughs) God has spoken to us a life-giving book, and it's right here. And we can consume this like right now. God has stuff to say about every area of my life that I might prosper in him. Teach me. The excellent ones, the saints are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight? Let's fellowship. You're like family to me. 
You're more than family to me. I have family that doesn't know Jesus, and guess what? We're more family than that. And we live like family, all up in each other's house, all up in each other's business, fellowshipping. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up, established in the faith. And just a couple thoughts on abounding in thanksgiving. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Rooted, built up, established, and thankful. Say, are you abundantly thankful? Like abounding in thanksgiving. I think that'd be a good question to ask your wife or to ask your husband or to ask your roommate or to ask your kids. Would you consider me abounding in thanksgiving to God? But one of the things I think this definitely sounds like is a singing saint. He gets there later in chapter 3, right? Admonishing one another, teaching one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I would, just, I would just encourage you, if this is the only time that you sing like this, it really shouldn't be. We have just as much reason to sing tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. Is your heart filled with thankfulness? And overflowing thanksgiving ought to mark the Christian and every Christian church. The gratitude befits the people of God. It's not our sin most active when we're most discontent. And discontentment springs from entitlement. I deserve something else than what I have. Well, of all things a Christian should be, entitled is not one of them. We, we know this because our entire boast, our whole situation is based on us not getting what we actually deserve. You want to talk about what we're entitled to? Like what you really, really deserve? The Bible paints in very clear brushstrokes. Oh, what you deserve is God's wrath. What you deserve is the judgment of God for your sin and rebellion against him. You you deserve the wages of your sin. Uh, We we deserve to be treated according to our sin. We, we watch in the news when injustice happens, we long for, and I hope they get that guy. Let justice occur. It's like, amen, true, just make sure you remember you about what you deserve. We deserve God's silence. We deserve to be left in utter darkness for the countless ways we have devalued his name and the countless ways we have trampled his glory underfoot. But beloved, that is not what we have received when we received Christ Jesus the Lord. We got grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And we have reason to be exceedingly thankful. Here's a couple things to stir up your memory. Uh, We have been given the mind of Christ. We have spiritual wisdom and understanding. By his grace, we have had the record of our debt pardoned. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have Christ 
as our head. We have the preeminent one as our king, and he is a very, very good king. In Christ, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. In Christ, we've been made citizens of his heavenly kingdom. In Christ, we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen, your mom and daddy might left you no money. You might not leave your kids no money, but there's an inheritance for the saints in light. We have something that all of our present circumstances, all of our current afflictions, all piled up are not even worth comparing to a hope laid up for us in heaven. And what, 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 what that should produce at least is some thankfulness. Uh, when we were snatched out out of the world of darkness, we were delivered from a thankless existence, and we got brought into light. And I don't know what your translation says, but my Bible says that light was marvelous light. We've been transferred into that kingdom of that wonderful son whose glory is our light, and now we have abundant proof to us to always be thankful Always be thankful. It's in Christ that we have all the reasons needed for eternal gratitude towards God forever. We are promised that all of our sorrows, each and every single one, will be converted into blessing. Indeed, it must work together for our good. We are adopted by God as our Father. We have the Spirit of God as our comfort. We have the Son of God as our leader. We have the promises of God as our inheritance. We have the Word of God as our sustenance. We have the Church of God as our family. We have the Gospel of God as our treasure. We have the glory of God as our hope. We have the presence of God as our joy and we will be forever with God as our end. And that should result in abundant blessing, abundant thanksgiving. And we know this because that's what glory is, a nonstop concert of thanksgiving. Be blessing and glory and honor and might and thanksgiving be to our God forever. In glory, we will evidence forever how the fullness of Jesus fuels forever gratitude. Thanksgiving will be our theme, and it's called to be our theme now. And that has a, an effect on actually rooting the saint in and of itself. Before we grumble and complain, I remember what my Jesus has done. Who were tempted to despise the providence of God? Let us remember the salvation plan of God. Before we're too perplexed by his confusing purposes, let us remember his electing ones through which he has lavished grace on us in Christ Jesus. We're called to continue with Jesus. And what a glorious call it is. For there's nothing for you outside of Christ of any value at all. But friends, there is literally Everything wonderful for us in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for being so, so good, so good to us, so kind to us in Jesus. Or would you satisfy us with your steadfast love? so that we would rejoice and be glad all our days. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.